Well, welcome everybody um, back to the Wiley Church. Some of you are new or maybe you don't come here. We're so glad that you guys are here. Thanks for taking the time to come and be a part of our family this morning. Um, my name is Pedro and I work with Focus over at the Collin campuses. Um, and last week, James introduced us to our new series uh, that we'll be in called Jesus at the Center. And today I'm going to be talking to you guys about how to live with Jesus at the center of your relationships. Um, so today's sermon is actually going to build really well on the Value Sunday sermon that John gave like a couple weeks ago. Um, and so if you would like to listen to that one, it's about brotherhood, sisterhood, and friendships. Uh, he does a really good job talking about all of those things as someone who has really exemplary friendships. And so you can check out our website for that info, um, wileynortheast.com slash sermons. It's pretty straightforward. Um, and as you guys know, having good relationships isn't like an exclusively Christian value. Uh, we kind of need relationships to thrive in any sphere that we're in. Um, healthy relationships aren't even exclusively a Christian value either. Uh, there's many books on how to have good relationships that Christians and non-Christians alike will read. Um, but what does starkly contrast Christian relationships from the rest of uh, relationships is the way that we go about having healthy relationships. Um, so Jesus seems to talk, or sorry, think about kingdom relationships in radically different ways. Uh, and I'll be kind of talking about some of those today. Um, last week, James said, when Jesus enters a place, I'm just going to hold my phone, radical change happens. He is not ineffectual. He's not neutral. So when Jesus enters a place, radical change happens. He's not ineffectual. He's not neutral. Through our relationships, God wants us to be transformed. As Jesus' people, we are to also affect the transformation in the people around us. Um, would someone like to make my iPad work so that I don't have to use my phone? Anyone? Sian? Thank you. And uh, I'll use my phone in the meantime. Thank you. Uh, my code is 100922. Um, <laughs> Let's hope you remembered it. No one else did. Uh, okay. Pam, not you. Um, yes, yeah, so as Jesus' people, we're to be transformed through relationships and then also help other people be transformed as well. Um, and that really can only happen if we surrender to Jesus' lordships in those relationships um, and put him at the center. And as a disclaimer, I'm going to be talking about like relationships as a whole, um, but I'll more specifically be talking about friendships. Um, in the coming weeks, we'll talk about relationships like in marriage and at work. Um, but today, I want to just kind of focus on the friendship aspect. And then an additional quick disclaimer um, just about romantic relationships is that if you're not a very good friend, you won't be a very good spouse. Um, so today's talk should hopefully frame some of that. Thank you so much. Um, I will be changing my passcode after this sermon. <laughs> so don't write it down, Pam. Um, yeah, so how do we know if we have Jesus-centered friendships? Um, will it be if they have like a lot of happiness and good times? Uh, will it be if we feel really greatly appreciated through them? Uh, or will it be if they're easy? We're going to dive in and hopefully find out. So there are three ways, for those of you who take notes, um, that I think Jesus thought about relationships that should shape the way that we think about ours. Um, and each of these will kind of build on the other. So the first one is that in the kingdom, we belong to one another. In the kingdom, we belong to one another. 
And Jesus prays for this in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. I'd love for you to turn there with me. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about the disciples uh, that were walking with him. I pray also for those who believe, who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one with the Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus didn't pray that we would see each other once a week and then not again until the following week. Uh, he didn't pray that we would live independent and self-sufficient lives from one another. And he didn't pray that we would have it all together emotionally. He did pray that we would have complete unity among one another and be one in Jesus who is one with the Father. That's how God's love is made manifest. He says it at the end. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, this is pretty difficult to understand as a kingdom reality, um, just because in our world we're extremely individualistic. Like that, if anything, is kind of the pinnacle of you've made it as a person, is if you are individualistic. We don't mind just seeing our church body once a week if we buy into the way of the world. Um, we aim to take care of ourselves and not have to let anyone else help us in any way. Um, and we make every effort not to burden other people with our problems. We do want to have it all together. But that's not the way of the kingdom. It shouldn't be normal among us to live, these, live this way because Jesus modeled something completely different. In Matthew uh, chapter 14, after a long afternoon of Jesus and the disciples spending time with the crowd in a remote place, the disciples asked Jesus to send the crowds away so that they would go and have something to eat for the day. Jesus didn't quite agree with them wanting to send the people away, um, and instead he replied to them, they don't need to go away, you give them something to eat. Jesus saw them as responsible for caring for these people, and through Jesus' power, they actually were able to feed those people. At Jesus' death, he turned to John and said, here's your mother. And to his mom, he said, woman, here is your son. Since Jesus belonged to his mother and to his and to his disciple, um, John, so his mother also belonged to John. In Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 42, and on, that whole last section, we see that the early believers were together and shared their possessions with anyone who had need. They didn't withhold from one another, but rather freely gave. So if we call Jesus Lord, all that we own and all that belongs to us belongs to one another. That means that we have a duty to take ownership and the utmost care for one another. Simply put, my arm belongs to my leg. We all would agree with that. They don't operate independently from one another, um, but they work in accordance to the one body that they're a part of. Paul uses that body analogy in Romans chapter 12. He says, For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ." We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. Again, this is a hard truth to buy into, even among the church. But be warned, don't let the world's view creep into our body. 
The world believes each of us builds our own kingdom separate from, from, from everyone else. But we do have a responsibility to one another and ultimately a responsibility to collect, collectively advance the kingdom. And we can't do that when each of us are letting the world's views creep in. If anything, we're working against each other in those times. So if you are in need, whether materially or emotionally, you should expect other people to step in. And better yet, you should ask them to step in. You can't handle times like this alone, and you weren't designed to. That's the way of the world, not the way of the kingdom. From time to time, you may have someone reveal a blind spot about you uh, in your life. And rather than being offended, I think you should rejoice that the Lord uses your brothers and sisters who care about you and love you to look out for you in the things that you can't see for yourself. When you're detaching yourself from the body as if you were like a prosthetic leg, expect that your brothers and sisters are going to point that out to you and that that might result in a strain to you and also to the rest of the body if you follow through. I just want to say that if you decide to leave any church body at any point, you should be willing to make that a conversation with the rest of the body because you belong to the body and the body belongs to you. And so it's only appropriate to talk about that in a conversation because it will cause effect to the rest of the body. Jesus came to unite us and to take care of us through his people. This is the foundation for Jesus-centered relationships. If we're closed off to this, then we're actually just closed off to unity with Jesus himself. If we belong to one another, then the next thing in kingdom relationships is that uh, they're self-disclosing. So if we belong to one another, then we'll have relationships that are self-disclosing. In John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus is again talking to his disciples, um, who he talked to often. I feel like this goes without saying, but he talked to them often because he lived life with them, like on the daily. Um, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus was transparent with his friends. Even the things that they didn't understand, he would let them in on, like his looming death or the parables that people like scratch their head about. He shared that he was deeply troubled. Um, he prayed aloud at the Garden of Gethsemane um, as his disciples accompanied him, telling them that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, it's important to note that he wasn't always self-disclosing, um, especially when people weren't trustworthy or they were trying to trick him. He would be on guard. Um, so some of you might feel that you can't trust most people um, because of you know unfortunate previous experiences or anything like that. But I invite you to trust the other people around you, your brothers and sisters, enough to share your life with them. The reality is that people will always let you down in one way or another uh, because we're human after all. But being like our Lord who did share his life with people to the point of death is always worth it and it's always what's best. We don't share our lives with people because we trust that they'll respond in the way that we need them to or in the best way. We share our lives with people because that's what Jesus did and we trust that his ways are always the best. I've been inspired by people in our body, like Kristen, both Lindsay's, Austin Bailey, Gio, and many more who have given us a picture of what this looks like to share our lives with people. They pointed us to Jesus by sharing their stories, which have always left us reminded of God's goodness. To be self-disclosing is not 
normal and is not even normal among the church. It's radically different, and some see it as foolish, but the world's foolishness is God's wisdom. We know that. What's normal instead, conveniently, is to do what's comfortable and natural to us. We can share facts about our lives, where we grew up, how many siblings we have, the good things that we're proud of that we have going for us, but it's not as natural or comfortable um, for most of us to share our weaknesses, our shortcomings, or about our sinfulness. And that really shouldn't be surprising, just given that what comes naturally to us is not to live like Jesus. What comes naturally to us is not to live like Jesus. And that's all the more reason why we should share ourselves with people when it's uncomfortable and unnatural. In efforts to have Jesus-centered relationships, sharing our weaknesses, shortcomings, and sinfulness should be among the top of the list of the things that we talk about on the daily. Rather than waiting for the person that you're talking to normalize this kind of relationship in which you're self-disclosing, you should be the one to share first and set the tone for that relationship. Your goal is to be like Jesus, point blank, regardless of whether or not they're on board for that. I personally know how difficult this can be in friendships. I have friends in our community who I've known for a really long time, um, back when I was a new Christian and hardly had any idea how to have a good Jesus-centered relationship. And so the norm in some of those is just to, you know, have fun, uh, make light of things, just kind of have a good time. But the more that I've been around people like Garrett and Ronnie and Kristen and Alex Garcia and Matt Carruthers, um, who have modeled for me how you can be self-disclosing in friendships, the more that I've realized that I need to change the tide in some of my friendships that I've had for a long time. And that has been hard for me, both in being self-disclosing and then also just having the relationships be marked by that. Um, I grew up thinking that everyone had way too many burdens and I didn't want to add on to theirs. Um, and that's something that I'm still letting the Lord work out in me. Nowadays, when my friend, with my friends, when I ask them to elaborate on why they're stressed or like what's been burdening them, um, sometimes they respond in a way that just shifts the conversation away from that. Uh, I've initiated, shared, initiated sharing my life with some of those same friends, and it's made them uncomfortable and also resulted in shifting of the conversation. But our goal is not to control outcomes. It's to be like Jesus. So I carry on trying to be like my Lord, even when my efforts don't result in what's ideal. Where light isn't, darkness is. Jesus didn't let darkness reign to any extent, and he invites us to dispel darkness in every corner of our lives too. When we expose to people what's inside of us, we allow every area of our life to be touched by God through his people. In 1 John chapter 1, 5-10, through 10, it says, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. We are called to fellowship with one another in the light where Jesus is. So it needs to be normal for us to let one another in on the areas of our lives that need light. 
Sometimes those dark areas are of loneliness or despair, mourning or of suffering. And John reminded us a couple weeks back that in any given week, there are a number of us who are feeling that way. Sometimes those dark areas are just of sin and pride and selfishness and foolishness. So we should expect, I say this like with caution, but I think it's true, we should expect darkness to creep into our lives. But what we shouldn't expect is to let that darkness stay untouched by the light of Jesus. When we avoid the light, we let ourselves be deceived by sin and we become distanced from one another and from God himself. The good news, though, is that God can and wants to keep us in the light, and he wants to do that through our relationships with one another. We're to be people who live out Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I'll say it again. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We can't know how to encourage one another if we don't know what to encourage one another about. When someone encourages us without actually knowing the things that are going on in our lives, those words kind of fall short. When we're encouraged about specific situations that we're in, courage is actually put into us to keep going, to keep surrendering, to keep trusting, and to keep walking with Jesus. So lastly, Jesus knew that kingdom-centered relationships were designed to sharpen. They were designed to sharpen. Relationships that belong to one another and are self-disclosing always lead to sharpening. Jesus was constantly speaking words to others that would sharpen them. To those who struggled to believe, he would ask them, why do you still have no faith? His friend Peter tried to stop him from being crucified, and to him he said, get behind me, Satan. To large crowds, he said, if you love those who love you, what good is it? Even the pagans do that. And before those who killed him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, some of you may be thinking, like I would be, I'm not the kind of person who can sharpen someone else. I'm not bold or aware or good at asking questions or well-versed or comfortable with conflict of any kind or great with my words. You keep going. If you're thinking one or more of those things, let me ask you this. Is your friend, the one that you're in relationship with, worth being loved? Obviously, the answer is always yes. So the next question becomes, instead of just giving lip service, will you actually love them? Jesus doesn't su suggest that we love one another. He commands it. In John chapter 13, he says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's where the rubber meets the road in terms of being people who love like Jesus does, and do what he asks us to do. It's not enough to just say that we love one another. We must demonstrate that, and that often comes through speaking words that sharpen others. Words that will sharpen, sharpen are always rooted in truth. I want to make it clear that regardless of whether people reciprocate that to us or take it well, or if they allow themselves to be transformed by those truths, it's our responsibility to speak the truth. To those who struggled to believe in him, in Jesus, he revealed that about them by asking them, do you still have no faith? To Peter, who was in opposition to God's will and only thinking about the temporal, Jesus called him what he was acting like, which was Satan. To the large crowds who are just like us in any given day, happy to love those who love us, but hard-pressed to love when it actually costs us something, 
He said to them, if you love those who love you, what good is it? That doesn't make you like Jesus. And to those crucified, those who crucified him, he made clear that they were in the wrong and that they needed to be forgiven. Jesus is not only willing to acknowledge the messy and the unfortunate truth of people's actions, but he in love confronts those people head on. We mature and we grow up through being sharpened. When we speak the truth to others, we partner with God in the process of maturing one another. Since God is always working to mature us, we always have opportunities to partner with him in this way. That is what discipleship looks like, the process in which we're pointed to Jesus and invited to be like him. That means that in the kingdom, every relationship includes discipling. If you think discipleship is only the responsibility of a mentor, I invite you to reconsider. And if you think that you are only responsible for discipling those who you're studying with, I also invite you to reconsider. Consider your friendships. Do each of them sharpen you and make you look more like Jesus? Or is it just a couple? Why is that if it's just a couple? Is it because you've made it clear that you don't want discipleship to be a key component of your relationship? Don't rob them the opportunity to be like Jesus. And don't settle for a relationship in which your passive and stunting opportunities to yourself become like Jesus. Often hearing the truth and being sharpened feels like we're being disciplined, which is something that we don't tend to appreciate. Hebrews 12 reads, Do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. And then in Proverbs 27, it just says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. God wants to, wants to use each of us to mature our brothers and sisters. So the question is, will you let him do this through you? My best friends are the ones that constantly hold me to the standards of Jesus. They see me as belonging to, to them they value transparency in our relationships so that we can actually know each other, and they love me enough to tell me the truth. We should all feel this way and all be this kind of friend. So we have an opportunity to be a body that is radically different in our relationships than the rest of the world. That can often feel like it costs us, but like I said, it's unnatural to be like Jesus. To be transformed and matured by God personally and to partner with him in maturing and transforming those we're in relationships with is what we're all about. We see him working around us. He's trying to mature us, and we want to be the people who join in on that. To those of you who are already paving the way and having this kind of Jesus-centered relationship, we say thank you. Thank you for your patience and your obedience and your love. And to those of you who are maybe sensing God invite you into a richer kind of relationship, I just ask you to trust him. He's a good father. I'm going to pray for us, um, and then we're going to do community sharing. Father, we pray that you make us into a people who truly reflect you. May our commitment to one another show the world that we belong to one another. May our transparency to one another show the world that we are children of light and have nothing to hide. And may our words be used to show the world that you're using ordinary people to make us more like you, Lord Jesus. Amen.